She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Listen, he's trying to frighten, uh, you know, whites about Maxine Waters. Here's this black woman, and she's controversial, and she said things about me, and she does not uh, move away from her position on impeachment, etc. He's trying to frighten them. It's not going to work. In the final analysis, even some of those people who voted for him, who are going to be hurt by his tariff policies and who's going to be hurt uh, by his tax policies, are going to see who he is eventually. Many of them are going to move away from him. I know there's a lot of talk about his constituency and the people who are going to stand with him no matter what he does. It's not enough of them. Mm-hmm. They're not going to win. And now, Stacy Washington. All right, welcome back to the program at Stacy on the Right on Twitter and Instagram and StacyOnTheRight.com. Those are the websites. I gotta tell ya, um, she's right and she's wrong. Mad Max, Maxine Waters. Um, she she makes some statements there, and so let's let's unpack it just a little bit. First of all, is it not so that she is one of the leaders of the Democrats? So how is it that Donald Trump is trying to frighten whites by calling? her a new star she's made a few conscious attempts at elevating her profile and they've been successful and a lot of americans who weren't aware of maxine waters because she has no key legislative accomplishments or achievements they are really uh now aware that she exists and they understand that she's an advocate for radical leftism the idea that people who are in the opposing party can't go out in public they can't pump gas they can't shop at the grocery store they can't eat at restaurants that comes from maxine waters she's the one who said make them uncomfortable kick them out of the public spaces it's not an attempt to frighten anyone of a particular ethnic background it's an attempt to get people to see that there's a very real threat to freedom and liberty and things that you just might want to pump some gas, right? You just might want to be out in public. You don't have to be wearing a MAGA hat or a, you know, a Trump Harley Davidson t-shirt to be one of the people who feels alarmed by the rhetoric of Maxine Waters. So what else can we take from what she's saying? Well, she doesn't want white people or any people really to be frightened of her because she wants you to accept the things that she says on their face. Just take them and, and accept them. And she's a part of that, that it's a weird mix the Democrats have, because while they advocate for, uh, you know, open borders, which hurt the black community and hurt working Americans, including people in unions, they dr- illegal immigration and cheap labor drive down the wages of Americans who are already here. They also burden our public welfare system and our educational system, et cetera, et cetera. And so for Democrats who claim to be for union people, for working people, for the poor, it's a real mix up. It's like this weird thing that you try to understand, but you're never going to understand it because it doesn't work. You cannot simultaneously be for open borders and low wage illegal immigrants and be for unions and black people and the working poor, working class people, et cetera, et cetera. You can't. So what does she do? She distracts away from all of that by saying, well, the president wants you to fear me because of race. The president wants you to see me as the new face, the new rising star of the Democrats, because that scares white people. I don't know anybody, white or otherwise, 
who's afraid of Maxine Waters because they're white. I'm not afraid of Maxine Waters. I'm black. Why should anyone fear her? I think what she should have said is that they should fear, we should fear that Maxine Waters would implement policies that make it more difficult for Americans to achieve the American dream. That is what she should have said if she was going to be honest. And so that brings me to a, a bit of fascinating information. And I was reading this thinking to myself, ooh, the Democrats aren't going to like this. But it's not something that they can stop per se because it's not a law that needs to be changed. And it has to do with immigration. The Trump administration has made an announcement that they're going to ban, they may possibly ban, foreign nationals who need welfare from moving to the U.S. So if you're like me, you might think, that's already the law. Well, it's not. It's, it, it, it is and it isn't. So the plan that President Trump has unveiled, a multi-pronged plan, and it's spearheaded by senior advisor Stephen Miller, hopes to reduce tax burden by limiting current and future immigrants to those who demonstrate financial self-sufficiency. So what I want to do, and that's just one of the plans, that's one thing that, that the Trump administration hopes to do. What I want to do is connect up for you how the Democrats in their kind of, it's a, it's a movement, obviously. It's an aim. Any political party wants to win. But why would the Democrats be so bent on winning and stopping the Trump administration from implementing their goals? It, and we've seen this with every party because I know some people will say, oh, yeah, you know what, Stacey, the Tea Party movement was you know, in response to President Obama being elected. Actually, it wasn't. The Tea Party movement started right before President Obama was elected. And it was a reaction to what many Americans saw as big spending, you know, tax and spend Republicans and how they weren't doing enough to keep government small so that taxes could remain low. And then you have President Obama come in with hope and change. And so here we are with a, a, a real wish by the Democrats to make new radical changes to continue the march towards the left and socialism. And that brings us to our, this has been primary week all over the country. And the Democrats are touting all of their accomplishments on being able to get candidates on the ballot and get them through primaries who are what they consider to be progressive and non, uh, non-traditional types of candidates. I don't feel like it's anything to be celebrated, but it's the truth. The Democrats are celebrating right now. In St. Paul, Minnesota, Democrats are actually, and this is reported out of, out of St. Paul, Minnesota, that Democrats backed a national party leader who's facing accusations of domestic violence. Now, in America, we're innocent until proven guilty. And of course, this is about Keith Ellison and a former girlfriend of his saying that he abused her and was was violent towards her in their relationship, but that he, he, he was easily, he won that primary easily. This wasn't an issue for him because it came out so late and he issued a denial very late and the DNC said that, you know, they're looking into it, but that he's innocent until proven guilty. But if you look across the country, the Democrats had an interesting evening. In Vermont, the nation's first transgender gubernatorial nominee was selected. And I mean, this, this to me, I'm just, I'm really surprised that people feel someone who's mentally ill can 
work in government and be good for them. And if you look at this person's tweets, anti-Christian tweets all over the place. The views that this person holds are absolutely antithetical to anyone who has if, if you just go to church at all, this this person is against anything that you're doing. Also in Minnesota, a woman was chosen. She beat the, the other candidate out in the primary to be the first Somali-American member of Congress. I don't think that's so horrific, uh, other than the person might be a hardcore liberal. Connecticut Democrats nominated a candidate who would be the first black woman from the state to serve in Congress. I, and... I understand the first black woman, this first black man, you know, people want to celebrate those achievements because they point to further movement away from the history in this country where, you know, obviously we have slavery in our history. But I would be more concerned rather than the person being the first black woman. What does this candidate believe about taxes, immigration, the budget, foreign policy? our relationship with our allies and with our foes abroad. But we get the information about these people boiled down to, well, they're a transgender. Okay, but what else? Well, they're a Somali American. Okay, I'm sorry, but who cares? First black woman. Interesting, but not the main deal. So when Maxine Waters talks about people being afraid and Trump trying to engender fear in white Americans, this is not this is not accurate. What she's really pointing to is that they're having some shifts in their party. They're having some really tough times with the old guard, which is headed up by Maxine Waters, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and these new Democrats who are coming in who've been reared up at the knee of this socialist agenda that the Democrats have been implementing in K through 12 public schools. And now that it's grown to its full birth, they're saying, well, yeah, but you're not going far enough. These new Democrats who are Democratic socialists don't think the old school Democrats, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, et cetera, they don't think they're going far enough. It's not enough to just open the borders. You've got to crush Christians beneath your boot. You've got to make sure that they're not allowed to be in public. You're going to make sure anyone who doesn't agree with us isn't allowed to be in public. Now, I don't know how this works out for these people with the fact that they, they're anti-gun. They always have paid armed security, but they don't understand that the majority of the people they're talking about, these Bible-clinging, you know, gun-clinging Christians, these people that they consider to be so bigoted and full of hate and fear— are the primary owners of all the weapons, the people who know how to forage and live off the outdoors, and the ones who are prepared for catastrophic events in this country. Also, the majority of this country. The hardcore organized left is a very small percentage of Democrats. It's 22% or thereabouts that are radicalized to this degree. The rest of the Democrats, they want to see more social services and they're okay with higher taxes, but they're not in favor of forcing people out of public life. So what, it, what, what is the coordination that we're seeing? Well, Nancy and Chuck and Mad Max are going to have to come to the left. And, and if you're like me, I'm thinking to myself as I'm saying that, how much more to the left could they go? Well, if you want to peek at it, just check out Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She's the new face. She's the real rising star. And I'm not saying that because Donald Trump wasn't accurate about Nan- about uh, Maxine Waters, but it is, yeah, 
Maxine's a part of the current iteration of Democrats, but the new face, the face that the party wants to put forward for 2020 looks much more like Ocasio-Cortez and much less like Maxine Waters. And that should frighten us, not in a way that cripples us or prevents us from acting, but it should frighten us into more prayer, more uh, political activity, because that tool is available to us to make changes. And it should catalyze us to move to the voting booth with regularity because she says that Trump's base of support is not large enough to overcome what they have in store for us. And I beg to differ. I think Americans tend to lull down a little bit. We've seen the Democrats do it in midterm after midterm after midterm. And we see an inkling of that happening right now with the Republicans and the the midterms, uh, the, the primaries leading up to the midterms coming up. The turnout was a little lower. It's really up to voters to decide which of these ideologies is the one that that you want to accept, whether it's Maxine Waters, Pelosi Schumer or Ocasio-Cortez, Bernie Sanders and the transgender and, and all those people. Or if it's someone who's moderately on the right or someone who's, you know, hard on the right, the decision rests with the voters and I don't believe it's based on the decision. The decisions that voters are making is not based on fear. This is not a fear-based calculation for people. I believe it's much more about who they think will govern properly and who they think represents them the best. These nebulous terms that we're hearing about democratic socialism and, and all of that, these are distractions. These are ways for people to get away from... Um, being held accountable for what they believe. And democratic socialism can't work here in this country. We have so many examples of how it cannot work, yet we continue to see people bringing it forward. And it's like the shiny new thing, the shiny new thing that will lead to destruction. So I encourage people, first of all, anyone who's proposing democratic socialism, ask them what it means. Ask them how they plan to implement it and what their plan is for people who don't want it. People who prefer capitalism. See what they say to that. Anyone who is a purveyor of that, democratic socialism specifically, should be able to explain it and to your satisfaction. So more than one follow-up question. And, you know, then you can go from there. All right. We will be back with more right after these important messages. Go to AFR.net and UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, the very first day in Israel, when we're staying in Jerusalem, we go to the Mount of Olives. And it's there at the Mount of Olives we look out over the old city of Jerusalem. It's a spectacular sight. You've seen it in pictures before, but it's another thing to actually be there as we walk down from the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane and we pray there. It's going to be a wonderful time with brothers and sisters from around the country visiting the Holy Land, the land of Jesus. If you want information on this March 14th through the 22nd tour, just call us and we'll send you a brochure. Call one 800 Families, F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option five, and leave us your name and your address and we'll mail you a brochure. Or if you want to simply go online at TWHolyLand.com, everything's there. TWHolyLand.com. 
This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. America is turning more into a secular society, but this post-Christian nation is not turned into a kinder, more tolerant place to live. Peter Beinart, writing in The Atlantic, reminds us that a vast majority of Americans still believe in God, but they are fleeing organized religion in increasing numbers. The percentage of people with no religious affiliation jumped from 6% in 1992 to 22% in 2014. Among millennials, that figure is 35%. Many secular people would have predicted that this trend would end the culture wars and lead to greater harmony in society. Just the opposite has happened. He says secularism is indeed correlated with greater tolerance of gay marriage and pot legalization, but it's also making America's partisan clashes more brutal. Non-churchgoers have adopted a bleak view of America more so than their church-going peers. He wonders, has the absence of church made their lives worse? Or are people with troubled lives more likely to stop attending services in the first place? Establishing causation is difficult, but we know that culturally conservative white Americans who are disengaged from church experience less economic success and more family breakdown than those who remain connected, and they grow more pessimistic and resentful. I think you could make the case that without the peaceful influence of the Christian faith, Americans gravitate to a darker view of the country and of other citizens. Trust and civility decline while anger and animosity increase. We should not be surprised that many Americans leave the church and organize religion, that the conflicts in society are intensifying rather than diminishing. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Now, I want to I want to get to some um, regular type news. So, before we we're going to hear a little couple of little sound bites. So, first, I want to talk. Well, let's let's actually listen to number seven. Another strong report or expectations for a strong report from the government, from the private payroll company ADP. Let's take a look at some of the numbers here. 185 were the expectations. So kind of within the realm of where economists might end up uh, edging up, or the market at least, edging up their expectations for the Friday number. June payroll for ADP was revised up to 181,000. Goods, 42,000 for July, 177 for services. That's about a normal split. It shows good uh, employment numbers in the goods uh, industry. I'm not going to be a naysayer when it comes to the jobs report. And so the point that we've previously had numbers like this, that's great. But I think it's all of it together. The jobs report, the GDP numbers, the unemployment numbers, the <laughs> the reduction in regulations and then you come back on the other side and you've got the tax reform together. It, it makes a really rosy picture and I'm happy to see it. So now let's talk about this, this hundreds of New York or they're actually not New York. They're North Carolina elementary school teachers having failed the math portion of their licensing exam. This puts their careers in jeopardy and it started happening in 2013, when Pearson Publishing Company was hired to give the exam. Now, the State Board of Education is reporting on this. 
saying that failure rates for teachers on the math portion of the exam have spiked and they're now struggling to find teachers for the youngest children. Education officials are now echoing what the teachers have been saying, that the problem lies with the exam and not the teachers. Okay. The Board of Education, which last month granted beginning teachers an extra year to pass, plans to review the Pearson's exam to see if the tests are actually measuring skills needed to teach elementary students effectively or whether they're gauging math that's generally taught in higher grades. Shouldn't all of them be able to do at least some of the higher math because they graduated from college? Like, Didn't they have to have some math in college to graduate? You're saying these people have graduated from college with a degree in teaching. They're planning on teaching elementary school, but they can't do any advanced math. And why are they just now going to review the test? They didn't review the test before they hired the new agency. So you hire a new publishing company that administers tests. You don't first review the tests that are going to be administered, have some sample tests given to experienced teachers so that the teachers can give you feedback on what's on the test and whether or not they think it's reasonable. Have that test also submitted to your local board of education so that the board members can take a look at it. And then, of course, your head of curriculum and instruction should review it and maybe the superintendent of the school district. And all of them look through it to make sure that it passes muster and then Hire the company to administer the tests. I'm sorry. I just fell back into being a school board member again. But that's what they should have done. It is ridiculous that they are now talking about, well, we're, we don't have enough teachers and we have a shortage and we're worried that people are going to leave the career field. You mean to tell me you graduated from college with a degree in teaching, you can't do any advanced math, and so the answer to you not being able to pass the test in this district is to leave the field of teaching? I just don't get it. I don't, I don't, yeah. Um, So right now, it's my pleasure to welcome Heather Long. She's an economics correspondent for the Washington Post. Thank you so much for joining us today, Heather. Hi, it's good to be here. Okay, so I'm excited to talk to you. Um, The economy. I love talking about the economy because I'm a huge, big-time, unabashed, like, American flag-wearing capitalist. I love hearing that people are making money, that people are working, that people have their jobs going on, that that regulation is reduced, that we can do more things. Um, I'm always a proponent of doing more, not less, uh, when it comes to economics and, and things that we can do to work for ourselves and make a life for ourselves. When you talk about the just some statistics going on around the economy growing at 4.1%? Uh, yeah, it was a great second quarter growth figure. Um, you know, best in four years. So there's no doubt about it. It's a strong number. We saw the Federal Reserve reiterate that in their statement. Um, but it's also important to remember the president sometimes calls it unprecedented. That's going a bit too far. It has happened. And we have had plenty of quarters in the past when we've had 4 or even 5% growth. Um, but it's certainly a very good trend. The, what was driving that strong growth in the second quarter, it's a combination of two things. One is we're seeing the tax cuts. We're seeing that work through. We're seeing a lot of consumer spending, a lot of Americans opening their wallets to spend for their families and for their businesses. That's a really good sign, and that is likely to continue in the coming months. The other thing that we saw, though, that was really pushing that number over 4% was um, an unusually large amount of exports in the second quarter, particularly of soybeans. And some of that is the result of companies overseas trying to buy U.S. agricultural products before those tariffs set in. So that 
was kind of artificially inflating that number a little bit, and that's why most economists say, you know, we're still on track for a very good year in 2018, probably close to 3% growth, which would be very good, but um, we're probably not going to be at 4% in the third or fourth quarter. Okay, so I I also love the facts as they lay on the ground. I don't I don't need to have anything sugar coated for me. And so, what are you looking at? Like, if you were speaking about projections for the first quarter of next year, or do you even do you go there at this point? Where, where do you see it trending? That's the biggest question of all, and there's a huge debate between White House economists and and most of the mainstream economists over what's going to happen next year. Almost everybody agrees this year is going to be a good year, particularly after those tax cuts and after some additional government spending that's been going on at the federal level. Uh, So again, 3% growth or close to it is likely to happen this year. But after that, most mainstream economists believe that the bounce will fail that this is more of a one-time bounce. We're going to get a great 2018, and for 2019 and 2020, it's going to return back closer to that 2% level that we've seen for most of this recovery the last decade. Um, So next year's 2019 number would be closer to a 2.5%. Again, that's still a pretty darn good number for the United States, and many other countries around the world would love to have that, Um, but that's not you know, that stellar number that um, President Trump would really like to see going forward. So we'll see. It's a big debate. We'll see what happens. Well, I I, honestly, just knowing the Trump, the, the persona of the president, I wouldn't expect him to come out to the podium and say, well, we're looking at 2.2% or, you know, that's not the way he um, markets his work. So, um, but I, I do think it's interesting. So when you say it's going to go back down to the 2.2%, is that because the impact of the tax reform will lessen or, or because businesses won't really be as excited about the you got fewer regular? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah. So how, what does it's, that look yeah. like for employees and the, the employment rate? Will we also see fewer people working or, or will we stabilize there as well? Most people think we're going to stabilize, and I think that's going to be a very good message this year. Again, um, earlier this year, we were at 3.9% unemployment. Um, We are so close. If we hit 3.7, and and most economists think we will before the end of the year, that's going to be the lowest unemployment rate since 1969. So the the job market is definitely in very good shape. Um, With one exception, this was a problem for President Obama. It's, It's still a problem for President Trump. Wages are not growing very fast in this country. Uh, It's part of the reason President Trump was elected. He rightly picked up on the fact that people are frustrated that their pay hasn't recovered since the recession and that they um, are not getting those pay opportunities they want to be able to save more and and do more with their lives and their businesses. Um, So that's what I think we really need to focus on through the rest of the year. We're going to see some good economic numbers, but keep asking yourself and those around you, have you gotten a raise? How big is that raise? Because we really want to see raises above 3% again in this country. Okay, so what could the Trump administration do to spur that on? And, and obviously, I my my hope is that all of the talk about tariffs and the kind of tough negotiations that are going around on surrounding that are going to settle down as well and that countries are going to come to the table and the president, you know, they'll meet and they'll figure something out so that the tariffs are not the new order of the day. And if that's the case, then 
how does the Trump administration help to bring about that second step that you've just described about having employers uh, give employees wages that are in a better range? I think you're right on trade, Stacey. I was just on the phone with someone and certain, and um, coming out of a good source, and, and certainly NAFTA looks more promising, particularly with Mexico, which was the big hang-up for a lot of the spring, and things obviously look a little bit better with Europe. Um, you know, the administration's probably still going to go hard on China, and that's unlikely to end anytime soon, but... Um, there's pretty broad agreement in the country across the political spectrum to go hard after China. And so I think the president will will really feel a tailwind on that going forward if he ends the debates with um, with our allies like Canada and the European Union. Uh, in terms of wage growth, <laughs> we all wish we knew the answer. <laughs> we are The last time we saw unemployment this low in the late 1990s, wage growth was way higher than where it is now. So a lot of people are really flummoxed at why, you know, usually when business leaders, and I'm sure you've had some on your show, when folks come on, they say, what's their number one problem? Most CEOs and business leaders from smaller, large companies say they can't find the employees they need. They can't find enough workers uh, right now to, to keep up with the high demand. That's a good problem to have. But at the same time, you know, your next question is always, well, why aren't you raising wages? <laughs> usually people raise the wages high and that's how they can attract the talent that they want to come to their business instead of the competitor across the street or in the other another state. And um, so, I don't know. I mean, the Trump administration would argue that, and they have a pretty good point to make, that by running a hot economy, by running, keeping employment so low, by doing these tax cuts, you know, they're putting additional pressure on businesses. They're giving them more money through the tax cut to be able to hopefully give some of that money to workers. And that um, this hot economy, keeping that unemployment rate so low, should should help to to do what we all think should happen with those wage increases. But again, is it going to happen? I don't know. People have been saying that for the last three years, and it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I I, I think that's a fascinating question. And I, I will tuck that into my back pocket for the next time we have someone who's a business owner on to yeah. talk about, <laughs> you know, what? so why not just jack up those offer letters, you know, yeah. put, put some more money on the table uh, for people to you can get those employees. So how does the labor market usually respond, historically speaking, to this new phenomenon, which is, you know, it's it's almost full on it's almost full employment. So you've got full employment and then the interesting, you know, the business is kind of keeping the the pay rate. It's not I wouldn't say it's suppressed, but they're definitely not allowing it to rise to yes. kind of meet the forces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do how do that where do where do we go from here with that? Well, there's some good trends that are happening, and I've, I've written about this. Uh, a number of people who used to have a hard time finding employment, for instance, people who had, who had served time in prison or had a felony conviction on their record, were seeing empl- employers um, really start to give people a chance who they wouldn't have looked at before, or they would have screened out. And the same thing, some, some people who have various disabilities who often struggle to find jobs, employers have realized that that's an amazing workforce um, and a population in the United States is very dedicated workers, and they sometimes aren't given a chance. Same thing with, um, as, as you likely know, unemployment rates for African Americans and Hispanic Americans are usually a lot higher than the Caucasian um, rates in the United States, and right now the African American unemployment rate is at its lowest on record. We started keeping that record in the early 1970s. That's good news. Same thing with the Hispanic American rate. 
And so, um, you know, so we're starting to see opportunities for workers who were really struggling throughout that recovery to get the chance they deserved. So that's a good sign, and I think we'll keep seeing that going forward. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it just continues to be this question of whether that wage growth will come through. The reality is that the costs are now rising, and this good, um, so the cost of food and the cost of rent. I know my rental increase just came through, and it was a, a little bit higher every month. And so a lot of people's pay, their entire pay increase, that 2.7%, is being eaten up, being wiped out by those higher costs that they're facing now in the economy. Mm, yeah, that's uh, that's definitely a problem because that means effectively no raise because your, yep. your apartment's not changed. It's not gotten bigger. doesn't have a new dishwasher in it. It's just the same apartment. I, I, I get that. That that could be an area where we could possibly see the president kind of spur business leaders on. It'd be great to have him tweet out something about needing to increase wages. Um, we'll have to wait and see if he actually does something like that. I wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the show today. Fantastic analysis. I put your article that is over at the Washington Post in the live stream over at the Facebook page. Uh, so everybody can click on it and read it. Um, Heather Long, economics correspondent for the Washington Post. Thank you for your expertise and analysis today. Thanks a lot. Love your program. Take uh, care. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Um, that I love it when you know experts come on, and she definitely had a, a wide breadth of, of experience to speak about this subject. I have to say... Um, it's interesting because I know President Trump approaches all of these things from the businessman perspective. And so it is not natural for business people who own businesses and employ lots of people to want to just give blanket raises. And there have been some rounds of raises. In fact, a significant number of companies gave out raises and bonuses after the tax reform. But it's interesting that Heather actually looks forward a, a, a scotch like to next year this time and sees the impact of that kind of leveling off. And so then you have to wonder, will the Trump administration come in with a second round of tax cuts? They have talked about that being only the first step. And if they do more tax reform, will that spur yet more uh, movement in the market as it pertains to employers increasing wages? And so that's something that we'll have to keep an eye on and uh, be be hopefully uh, expectant that something good would occur. All right. We will be back with more right after these important messages. Go to AFR.net and UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Steve Tiber. Eight Days of Hope started after Hurricane Katrina, helping people in Bay St. Louis, Waveland, Mississippi, rebuild their homes back in 2005. Since then, this faith-based ministry has gone nationwide, and we've helped out dozens of cities, dozens of areas of the country after hurricanes, tornadoes, flooding, or even snowstorms. And now you get a chance to be a difference maker. Eight Days of Hope 16. You can be the hands and feet of Jesus down in Houston from October 13th to October 20th. You can come for as little as three days or stay all eight days. We provide the food and lodging. We're looking for skilled professional and people like me who are less skilled and just want to give back. For more information, go to our website, 8daysofhope.com. 
click on the event, 80s Hope 16, read the FAQs, and learn more about how you can make a difference with 8 Days of Hope. Learn more and sign up to be a part of 8 Days of Hope 16 in Houston, Texas at 8daysofhope.com. That's 8daysofhope.com. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. There's a new slogan out, You Are Enough. It's the latest foray into convincing people that self-love is the pathway to freedom and success. This is just repackaged self-esteem nonsense of the same variety preached by secular thought leaders a few decades ago. Instead of going to church, we are encouraged to go to sporting events and huge stadiums on Sunday or stay home and read the newspaper. Instead of studying the Word of God, we're told to meditate on ourselves while holding crystals and humming. How ridiculous! Joy comes from knowing who we are in Christ. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. So in essence, the opposite of everything we've heard. The meek will inherit the earth. Confidence comes from working hard and living a godly life. Instead of looking for self-esteem, look for God in His scriptures, in His creation, in serving people. I'm Stacy Washington. Find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com. From America's election headquarters. State Senator Leah Vukmer wins the GOP primary in Wisconsin to challenge incumbent Democratic U.S. Senator Tammy Baldwin for November's midterm. Vukmer beating out fellow Republican Kevin Nicholson, aligning herself with President Trump and projecting herself as a tough candidate. In a TV ad, you can see her listening to voicemail while sitting next to a gun. You're going to die, and I'm going to be the one who does it. Ever have someone threaten your life for what you believe in? I have. In Minnesota, Democratic incumbent Senator Tina Smith took over when Al Franken resigned. Now she's up for a special election to fill the last two years of Franken's term. She's facing off against Republican State Senator Karen Housley in November. The other senator from Minnesota, Amy Klobuchar, easily winning her primary. She'll be running against Republican State Representative Jim Newberger. Jill Nato, Fox News. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I am thrilled to announce that in the second quarter of this year, the United States economy grew at the amazing rate of 4.1%. We're on track to hit the highest annual average growth rate in over 13 years. And I will say this right now, and I'll say it strongly, as the trade deals come in one by one, we're going to go a lot higher than these numbers, and these are great numbers. During each of the two previous administrations, we averaged just over 1.8 percent GDP growth. By contrast, we are now on track to hit an average GDP annual growth of over 3 percent, and it could be substantially over 3 percent. Each point, by the way, means approximately $3 trillion and 10 million jobs. Think of that. Each point, you go up one point. It doesn't sound like much. It's a lot. It's $3 trillion and it's 10 million jobs. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome Eric Trump. Eric Frederick Trump is an American businessman, philanthropist, and he's the son of the President of the United States, one of the sons of the President of the United States. And it's my pleasure to welcome you to the show. Eric, thank you for joining in today. Hey, you're so welcome. 
You're so welcome. How are you doing, Stacey? I'm doing great. Um, so it's a pleasure to speak with you. And let's let's start off with the rallies. There's been a lot of news, and uh, all of the news surrounds Jim Acosta whining like a baby because people don't like him, and they point him out at the rallies when you're pre- when when the president is talking. Yeah, listen, I think that's I, I think that's right. You know, I mean, it's 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 a shame. I mean, for the amount of time we're heckled and the amount of time um, that's spent on CNN spewing nonsense uh, about my father and about my family, you know, all of a sudden, um, you know, Jim Acosta is heckled for for four minutes, and you know, he um, you know he starts whining about it, and uh, it's it's not surprising. Um, listen, I don't really like to see anybody heckled. I'm a pretty nice guy, and you know, I don't really like to see people punched down. Um, you know, generally. That's been my personality my whole life. You know, at the same time, it's you know you see the amount of fake news that's out there. You see the amount of garbage um, that gets said every single night, and um, you know it's very sad. Um, and there's no question that media has has degraded um, over the last 10-15 years. Part of that's probably the 24-hour news cycle, but. Um, you know, so oftentimes, you know, people are offended when, um, you know, when they're heckled, but they go out, they do the exact same thing, and uh, nothing's ever said about it. And so there definitely is a double standard. I agree. And I, I really wish that it used to be there was a time in this country where if a public official gave you criticism, whether you liked it or not, a another media person or a reporter would kind of do an introspective look. Have I only written negative stories or am I being unfair to this person? And they would kind of redress their efforts and, and try to come up to the standard. We've not seen that from CNN or Jim Acosta, which is why I don't feel as sympathetic towards him as I would someone else who was genuinely making a good faith effort to report on the president. Yeah, that, that, that's right. And, you know, it, it's most of those other stations aren't also heckled. I mean, CNN is, is, is one of the very few that that is heckled time and time again. And, you know, I often think, you know, once you see that criticism, I mean, maybe it's worth taking an internal look at, at what you're doing individually that's, that's got you to the point where you have, you know, a rally where you have, uh, you know, 10,000 people. These are hardworking, great American patriots, um, you know, amazing people who are spending their, their afternoon somewhere. And they've really been offended uh, so much that they're actually willing to, you know, to heckle somebody a little bit. And again, I, I don't like to see it, see it happen, but I think sometimes you have to look in at yourself and, you know, it's amazing, you know, I'll, I'll watch and, you know, I have to, you know, for better or worse, you know, know what everybody's saying. And so, you know, I'll flip through all the, all the channels and, you know, so oftentimes I'm just disappointed by how well this, I'm disappointed by how, I'm disappointed to see how little time is spent reporting on how well, the country is doing, right? We've got the lowest unemployment that we've ever had among African Americans, among Hispanics, among women, right? I mean, just across the board, manufacturing is coming back to this country. Our economy is growing at 4.1%. I mean, that's incredible. Our GDP is growing at 4.1%. I mean, I remember when my father was on the campaign trail, he said, you know, listen, you know, I, I can grow GDP at over 3%. There's no question about it. I'd like it to be higher, but I know I can do it. And I remember, you know, seeing the New York Times and the Los Angeles Times and everybody else come out and say, you know, um, you know, real Donald Trump is dreaming. There's no way he's going to achieve 3%. All the economists think he's, he's nuts. I mean, they were literally laughing at him. Then all of a sudden it comes out, economy is growing at 4.1%, the, the best in years and years and years and years and years. You know, and, and no one even gives them credit for it. You know, they talk about nonsense, Russian collusion. They talk about, you know, garbage. I mean, it, it's really sad. And, um, you know, you would think that so many of these people would be rooting for this country. So oftentimes I think they're rooting against this country. And, you know, I'm a really patriotic person. And I just find that I find that really unfortunate sometimes. I do too. I'm 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 right there with you when it comes to disagreeing with those, you know, on the other side of the aisle or, you know, politics. I I welcome that. I think the jousting is healthy, but I do think at some 
subject matters like immigration, for instance, or the trade deals that your father is actually working on making with our, some of these people are our closest partners and allies, and they've been raking us over the coals. And it's not an exaggeration. They really have gotten like a buffet of a deal free, free ride from America for decades. And now that he just wants to balance the sheet a tad, he's not even asking them to carry their own weight, just come up a little bit. And they're screaming bloody murder. And Americans, we should be unified and supporting that effort. Uh, We had Heather Long, who's an economics correspondent for the Washington Post on last segment, and she was talking about the only kind of issue that she sees with some of the excitement around the growth is that businesses aren't raising wages enough, in her opinion, um, to kind of keep up with uh, economic changes that happen normally, like increased rents, increased costs at the grocery store. As a business person, I mean, you head up the Trump organization, what do you see happening in the future, let, let's say, next six months with wages? Well, you know, it's really interesting that she said that because, you know, unemployment's the lowest it's ever been. I mean, in fact, if you go out there, it's, you know, sometimes it's, um, you know, you've got too many job offers. And, um, you know, you see that across the board, right? Unemployment is, is the lowest it's been in, in, in literally decades. And it's also the first time that wages have started climbing. I mean, this country went through a 15-year period of time where people didn't get an increase in their salary. Um, in fact, most of the time, the exact opposite happened. Most of the time, their salaries decreased, and people started working, you know, two and sometimes three jobs, you know, just to get by. You know, this is the first year that, you know, we've, we've seen an increase in wages, and a lot of that's because, quite frankly, um, unemployment is so low that, you know, it's, it's spawned real competition. Um, and that's continuing. And, you know, for her to say that there hasn't been an increase, I mean, just look at, look at taxes, look at the tax cut. I mean, the tax cut, you know, roughly $2,600 to every family, um, in this nation just on the tax side. Um, and then you look at how much money is infused into companies because of that, where they're able to go and invest in equipment, machinery, and the physical plant and put new roofs on buildings and invest in equipment and, and, and invest in their employees. Um, it's the first time that we've seen um, wages go up, and that's a, that's a beautiful thing for this country. Um, but again, to see um, you know no jobs out there, um, you know, no meaning, you know, no no vacancy, meaning everybody has jobs. I mean, that's a that's a very powerful thing. I mean, manufacturing is coming back to this country. We were losing factories. We lost seventy thousand factories, as you know, Stacey, between two thousand one and two thousand sixteen. This country lost seventy thousand factories, and you know, now you see factories coming back into this country. You see manufacturing come back into this country. You see, you know, literally areas that were ghost towns that used to produce great products and great widgets. I mean, they're coming back. Um, to America, and they're excited to be coming back to America, and companies are excited to announce that they're not leaving America, whereas most companies were, were being forced out because of massive regulation and massive taxes and, and everything else. And so we're in a really, really good spot um, as an economy. Uh, we're in a good spot as a nation, and uh, I'm proud of everything he's done. I'm, I'm really happy with it, too. I mean, when I see the unemployment rates in different segments and communities that have had persistently high unemployment going down to the levels that we're seeing right now, I have to go back to the first year of the, the Trump administration where he talked about reducing regulations and everyone was like, ah, who cares about that? He's just horrible. He's mean and he he hates all the Mexicans. And so we just got to oppose him. And I, my ears perked up. I thought, wow, if he really reduces a lot of regulations, that could really unleash the economy. And that's exactly what happened. And following that on with the the tax reform, it was a one-two punch that was exactly what our economy needed. And now it's the trade. I really see the trade as being that third integral item that has to happen. 
And I love the toughness that he's exhibiting with, well, China. I mean, they're, they're the number one offender stealing our intellectual property and really doing things that no good business person should allow, which is why it's so great that we have Donald Trump looking at these deals and reassessing them and, and busting them up and starting over. So where do you see it going with China? Will they eventually come to the table and stop kind of, you know, it's a lot of bluster. I don't see them doing anything right now. It is a lot of bluster. I'm really glad you said the uh, you know the point about intellectual property. It's probably the thing that bothers me me the most. I mean, you know, here here we are as a country. We develop you know we spend 20 years developing you know next generation fighter plane, and all of a sudden you see the exact same plane come rolling off the line in China because they you know they stole the blueprints under a different administration you know for for the plane, right? I mean, it's it, you know that's that's very very scary stuff, right? If 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 you can't develop, if you can't innovate, what do you do? You know, well in their case they steal. Um, and that is a very, very dangerous recipe. Um, it's also interesting that a lot of times you'd have people, I mean, you'd have great Americans who'd come out and say, well, you know, I can't believe you do this tariff thing, and we believe in free trade. Well, my father believes in free trade, too. The problem is trade wasn't free. You know, if you were an American manufacturer and you want to send a product to China, they would charge you anywhere between 20 and 50 percent, you know, if they even took the product in. Right? A lot of times they say, listen, they didn't bother sending it, but we're just not going to accept it into our country. You know, on the other hand, they would take all their products, they would dump them on our docks, and we would charge them absolutely nothing to do. So you'd have American companies that could not compete around the world because, um, A, they didn't want our products, and B, if they did, it was anywhere between 20 and 50% more expensive than a comparable product that they would buy, you know, wherever they were in, in, in China. And that's not free trade. I mean, that is not free trade. That's trade where we as a country are totally getting ripped off, and it's one of those things my father refused to stand for. And you know when he put, um, you know when he put, you know the billions and billions and billions of dollars worth of tariffs on on China a couple of weeks ago, he probably saw it. Their market literally crashed, and it's unfortunate that the media doesn't report on this. But you know since January, China's stock markets are down 20 percent. I mean they're down 20 wow. percent. Now you never hear that when you, you know, when when you again listen to TV, you know, you you read the newspapers, but their markets are down 20 percent. Look at where we are. We're doing the best we've ever done. Our markets are at all-time highs, um, you know, across the board. I mean, our, our economy is is raging, um, and so clearly we're winning this this trade war, for lack of a better term. Clearly, you know, we have the better stick. Clearly, we have the better cards, and you have somebody who's a much better poker player and a much better negotiator, and he's using them very effectively. So, I think we'd all like to get to the the point where you have true free trade. Um, you know, across the globe. And it's not just with China, it's with the EU, it's with the rest of the world, it's with South America, it's with Mexico, it's with everybody. True free trade. Um, unfortunately, people have been using us for way too long. It's a reason we had $800 billion in deficits every single year. And it's one of the things that was driving up our national deficit the way, um, you know, the way it was climbing. I'm so glad you, you, uh, talked about their market and what's happening there because honestly, and I'm like I'm a news hound. I'm reading all the time, and I didn't even know that. And so, for the listeners out there, you know, thanks to Eric Trump and to Donald Trump for <laughs> first of all the news and then making it happen. And I look forward to seeing President Trump dragging the Chinese government, kicking and screaming by their hair if necessary, to the table to get to that optimal positioning. And the, and there's one more factor that I don't think the news reports on a lot, Eric, and that is that they have something called the 27, or 2037 initiative, which is where they expect to have 
the Chinese yen replace the U.S. dollar as the currency of reserve and to have their economy dwarf our own. But they can't do that with their communist government and communist schools and the, the bulk of their population living in poverty, which is what propels them to steal from Americans because we have all of the innovation and creativity and expertise. One of the things that they've been doing recently that I've been reading about is that they just skip, they leapfrog over all of the stealing in their country when the plans come through the factory there. They're now buying tech startups and companies that are doing innovative, creative things in Silicon Valley. They buy the company or they provide the bulk of the venture capitalist funds so that they can then have access to the emerging technologies. Is there anything we can do about that? Yeah, and I, I think there's other problems. I mean, I think they try and buy up entire industries so they can become vertically integrated in the industry. One of the industries that they're very focused on, which to me is a little scary, is uh, telecommunication, right? I mean, how do you fight a war if you can't communicate and if somebody controls communications? And so, you know, everything that goes into kind of the communication supply chain, and, you know, they're very focused on, on, on that and, and, uh, and other things. And, hey, listen, I don't blame them. I mean, I think, I think, they're, I think they're being smart. Um, I think they have been smart, and I think, you know, my father's been the first one to say this, but... I think they've outplayed um, the U.S. for a very long time. Um, the difference is today you have a very different commander-in-chief. You have a very different leader. Um, he's not going to be pushed over. He's got more backbone than any human being I've ever met in my life, um, times 10. I mean, that's probably an understatement. Um, he will stand up. He will fight it. Um, he will not let this country be taken advantage of. And, again, you, you see it. I mean, our markets are at all-time highs and you know um you know china is down 20 percent um this year um and uh you know that has to scare them uh, in terms of the 2037 initiative that you're referring to that has to scare them if, if their market's dropping like that and you know again we're we're consumers of goods they're producers of goods if you don't have a consumer for a good that you produce well you know you've got a real problem mm. um and so you know we really hold um all the cards and um, I, listen, it would be great to get to a place where everybody just trades on an even, even playing field and you don't have, you know, again, $800 billion worth of deficit um, a year. Um, and I think, you know, and I'm hopeful that we ultimately get there. I mean, I think that's everybody's hope and desire and wish. Um, but and if I think not President Trump the right is the thing, one to do it. Um, then, you know, we might not. Eric Trump, head of the Trump Organization and son of our president. Thank you so much for coming on today. I hope to speak to you again soon. All right, that's the show for today. Be back with you tomorrow on Friday. More Stacy on the right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. God bless. <laughs>